Hello, and welcome to the Hull Libraries podcast. In this episode, we had a conversation with Robert Pierce, aka Mama G, who is a wonderful year round pantomime dame entertaining families up and down the country with storytelling sessions about being who you want and loving who you are. We talked to Robert about the origins of Mama G, always wanting to be a dame and the power of pantomime and storytelling to break down barriers and make us think. Plus, towards the end, there's a little hint at their recent appearance on Britain's Got Talent as part of Dame Nation, which was still top secret and under wraps at the time of recording. Well, uh, sit back and relax. (laughs) I've got my cuppa, I'm ready. Good, good. (laughs) So basically, I love Panto. Uh, it's my favourite thing in the world. Um, and I've done Panto for 17 years now, all over the country. And about five years ago, the company that I was working for, I decided that I didn't want to work for them again the following year. And I'd spent quite a few years with them. Um, so I decided to go off and find another panther, but it was quite difficult because I'd spent so long with the same company. Other, you know, other producers had forgotten that I existed because they never needed to get into contact with me. Uh, so I was really struggling to get a panto. And then I was determined not to miss out on a Christmas of doing panto. So I decided to put my own on. Uh, now I don't, didn't have a lot of money for a big, large scale panto. So I booked a room above a pub at a theatre, uh, pub called the Drayton Arms, which is in South Kensington in London. And the theatre is obviously called the Drayton Arms Theatre. And I uh, just for a week in January to put on my own panto. But the thing with doing panto outside of, uh, the normal season and in such a crowded market, because London has loads of pantos, I was like, well, I have to work out what's unique about what I'm trying to do. Yeah. So I decided to do a double bill of short pantos, which we called two petite pantos, then hence the name of the company, uh, which right, became so, petite pantos. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, that. <laughs> uh, yes, and it went down really well. Um, and so the first one we did was, and well, I should explain that something else I'm always keen to do is prove to people that panto is more than just a throwaway commercial Christmas entertainment because I think as it's it's the oldest theatrical tradition we have in this country that is pretty much homegrown although its origins are from all over the world um and I just think it's a shame that a a type of theatre that is so ingrained in our culture like even if you haven't seen a panto you understand what the stock responses are you know what he's behind you is referring to. If someone yeah. says, oh, no, you're not, you instantly say, oh, yes, you are. You know, you, you, we know what the responses are. I, I wanted to show that Panto is more than we think it is. And as it's a form of theatre that is designed to be enjoyed by three-year-olds and their great, 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 great grandparents at the same time. Yeah. I was like, well, we're wasting an opportunity here not to say what we think. So the first panto we did out of two petite pantos out of the double bill was dick whittington which we did in a really traditional way we had the girl playing the principal boy um the goody came on stage uh right the baddie came on stage left all of that but we we staged it quite interestingly so it was staged with a big 
like a box, like a telephone box size thing that span around and had different scenes and things pulled out of it. So we had to think about how we were staging it. But then the second one, we did Mother Goose, which is my favourite pantomime because the dame is the star and I'm a pantomime yeah, dame. It's a really good one. It's a great one. Yeah. And I decided that this was, I was going to take this as my opportunity to make a statement. <laughs> <To shine. laughs> yeah, well, first of all, to shine, but also to, to lay out my cards on the table about what I think Panto can do. Yeah. So I decided that all the music was going to be from LGBT artists. So we use it as a showcase. Uh, I say a showcase, they were quite famous <laughs> musical artists. They didn't need the showcase at a small pub in South Kensington. <laughs> um, but, you know, there were a lot of popular songs, but they were all, all uh, under the umbrella of being LGBT, which a lot of people wouldn't have realised. And we made the baddie <laughs> Donald Trump. And every single one of his lines were verbatim Donald Trump quotes. And it was too easy to do. With and the then, characters, characteristics as well. Yes. Yeah, so, and both times he was played by a, a woman uh, as a sort of a reclaiming Trump's <laughs> uh, way of dealing with women, which is gross and so yes yeah, they were they painted themselves orange and we got them blonde wigs and they wore suits and the story of mother goose is that she's the nicest person in the world but the baddie thinks that everyone is corruptible and gradually throughout the story the baddie or donald trump in our case started to corrupt mama g until she became to be not a nice person and the reason he was corrupting her is because he wanted to become president and so at the end um obviously mama g Mother Goose, oops. Uh, <laughs> Mother Goose realizes what she's done wrong and she sees the error of her way and she realizes that who we love is what's important. Um, and then she decides to run for president and we did a vote with the audience. Oh, brilliant. And Donald Trump lost <laughs> every single performance, which is lucky. Um, and the nice thing about that was that in the pub afterwards, was you were, we'd go down for a drink and we'd see families talking about what they'd just seen. Yeah which was really exciting. And I yeah. just think it Panto should be doing that. Panto, and we still had Custard Pies and He's Behind You and lots of songs, but we also said something very clearly about how people should be treated and about how amazing lots of LGBT musicians are. And I think that Panto is also naturally satirical. So it's already political and people don't realize. Yeah. So let's just go the whole hog. <laughs> <laughs> make so it really back, political. Did you go um have any training in, uh, in acting? How did you start out? Yes, so I've always wanted to be a performer since I saw my very first pantomimes. Uh, and so my mum used to take me to the local youth theatre, which was in first in Plymouth, which is where I come from, and then in Bristol, which is where we moved and I grew up. And then I my school career was whittling down all the subjects until I was left with English and drama at A level, uh, and then then it, I went to drama school. I went to somewhere called Rose Bruford, which is in Sidcup, which is southeast London okay. or Kent. It depends who you talk to. <laughs> uh, and I did a course called American Theatre Arts, which was a weird choice for me. But the reason I made the choice is because the second year was based in Texas, ah. and I wanted to go to America because I've never <laughs> been before, and. Uh, it was amazing and throughout it even though I was studying American theatre my goal was always to do panto at the end of it and I can even remember us being sat in a acting class 
and our tutor going around and asking everyone what their dream role was be would be. And some people said, you know, like Macbeth and other Willie Loman from Death, um, yeah, Death of a Salesman, uh, some David Mammoths, and I was like Widow Tranky. <laughs> and they said, Robert, you, you can't say Widow Tranky. And I was like, I've given you an honest answer. Uh, my dream role is Widow Tranky. And what I will tell you is that out of everyone I was at drama school with, I am the only person who has played my dream role. <laughs> Who's achieved their girl? Yes! <laughs> well done, you. Thank you. So talk me through, um, do you want to talk about Mama G and how you perform? And yeah. how do you bring stories to life? And Well, fabulously. That's the answer <laughs> to all of that. Um, well, I so... love all this because I think it's important that kids get fun and enjoyment from reading and stories, but in any yeah. format that they can do Absolutely. it. It's not always just sat looking at a book, is it? It's maybe watching a performance about a story, Definitely. which is like what Panto is as well, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And I think uh, I think seeing people's enthusiasm for books, because I love books, I always have, um, I think that allows kids to go, oh, reading is obviously fun yeah because this person is loving it yeah <laughs> so what what am I missing <laughs> um because also I do appreciate that reading is not always fun and there are many books that I've read that I'm like when is this going to finish <laughs> uh, anyway so Mamaji she came about because uh of this production of Mother Goose we it went so well the one we did in London that we took it down to the Brighton Fringe uh, and when you do any sort of fringe festival it's very very difficult to get an audience in and this was our first year doing an out of season panto really because the two petite pantos have been in January uh, and so this but this was in May and we were really struggling to get an audience and we and Mother Goose already isn't a very well-known pantomime so we were we did loads of engagement with schools but we were getting nothing back and then they they have these slots called, um, I don't know what they're called, but basically it's like street performance, but yeah, a show can sign up and do 10 minutes on like the main street in Brighton and try and get an audience. And so the first week I signed us up and a lot of the cast were able to come and we had so much fun. <laughs> and then I was like, great, well done, everyone. I've signed us up for next week. And then everyone went, oh, no, I can't do next week. And I was like, oh, no, I've signed us up. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to do it. So, and I was really nervous, but I, I went as Mother Goose and the kids absolutely loved it. And I realised I basically did about 10 minutes of stand-up yeah. for children. Uh, and I was like, oh, hold up. And I know it's Brighton, which is a very, very open-minded city, but I was like, there's an obvious appetite from yeah. these children for what I'm doing. So when the actual show was on... I got in touch with a few cafes and was like, uh, I think I want to do some storytelling to advertise my show because Mother Goose, obviously outside of the Panto is a fam famous storyteller. So I was like, there's a connection there. And one cafe, a vegan cafe, it was so Brighton, uh, was like, yes, that'd be great. What's your name? And I was like, Mother Goose sounds a bit old hat. So I was like, oh, Mama G. Oh, Mama G, I've just got it. Yeah. <laughs> so I made, I made a more... I made her more up. I like it. <laughs> uh, and she, I think it sounds a bit cooler, but of course, if I think it sounds cool, that means it definitely doesn't. Um, but what was really interesting is that from that, like people really lynched onto that name, like 
It's the, quick and catching. Yeah, the name people love it. Even my own. Oh, this is a, this is really <laughs> silly, but we went to uh, so about three years ago, my grand died, and we went to the funeral, and we met all met at a garden centre before the funeral for a coffee and a cake as you do at a garden centre and there were lots of my dad's cousins there so my second cousins and I love every single one of them but I really hadn't seen them for a very long time and as I walked in one of their husbands stood up and went Mama G and I was like oh okay my family are calling me Mama G now here we go <laughs> um and I was that's when I was like okay the name is probably a part of how well this is going because it's really stuck in people's stuck, minds yeah but I, as you can probably tell from what I was saying about Petite Pantos, I think that pan, everything we do performance-wise is capable of having a purpose beyond entertainment. So, and if, but if you can entertain people whilst you're educating people, joke's on them because you've, you've fooled them and they've learned yeah. something at the same time. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I was like, a Panto Dame storyteller is, is a great idea for a start. But I was like, I think I want to do stories about being who you want and loving who you are. And these stories specifically advocate for LGBT young people and their families. And then there's a broader, there's a broader sense in which obviously I don't read, I don't tend to read stories that have um, a person of color as a protagonist because it's not my voice and it's not my place to tell those stories, but I do advocate for those books. So I'm very, if, um, books with uh, people who have different abilities in them. I'm always sharing those because actually this, we can solve, I think, everything in this world if we learn to love who we are. Because loving who you are helps you understand that everybody else is great as well. Yeah. So whilst I have definitely, definitely have a very strong LGBT angle, I'm also very clear that it's, it's about everyone. Yeah. If you, if you respect everyone and it actually works the other way. If you respect, if you learn to respect your next door neighbor, you will learn to respect yourself because once you see the beauty in somebody, you, you, you see, you find, you find the beauty in you and you realize that everyone's beauty is different. Like I just, it's just so hard to, and it's really lovely actually, because that's taught me a lot. Do you have particular favourites that you like to use that, you know, work well, they've got a good structure, you can really put extra material into them? Have you got, like, favourite ones? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so I tell a lot of my own stories. Okay. Uh, and uh, one, the most popular one is called Eunice the Horse, which is the one we turned into a musical um, where Eunice uh, is... Right. It, no, she's not a horse, but she can't work out what she's supposed to be. And then as the story progresses, it transpires that she's a unicorn and all of her friends help her become the unicorn that she is, which is oh, gorgeous. Uh, I've got one called Little Raw, which is about a dinosaur who is quite meek and mild. And then a neighbour moves in next door and she makes hats and Little Raw starts making hats. And then in his, in his hat making, he finds his big raw. <laughs> <laughs> which is quite anyway this you didn't ask quite so I tell a lot of my own stories um but in terms of picture books that I read um so you've got me on one of my favorite subjects now books um <laughs> there's a I think there's there's three that I can think of like my top three uh two that I've told for ages and one which I discovered this year uh my ultimate favorite is called Frocodile and it's by Jean Willis 
and Stephanie Liberis. And it's about a crocodile that finds a dress and puts it on and just realizes they're the most magnificent thing that has ever lived. And uh, some hyenas bully him for wearing a dress, but his friend, Freddy the Frog, uh, says, let's put, let's do a show. Let's put on a show and show everyone how magnificent this is. And the constant threat underneath it is that um, the, the crocodile is called Cliff. Uh, is that Cliff's daddy. Cliff. I know it's so cute. Is that Cliff's daddy is a real alpha crocodile. Like he rules the pond or whatever. And so Cliff is constantly worried that his dad's gonna disown him. And then at the end, there's a bit of a realization about who may have left the dress lying around. Uh, which and that that book is so much fun because over I've been reading it for about three years and over the years I've really I really do all the voices I was going to say does really, your acting come in and do you do like the gruff voice for the dad and, definitely I've yeah. re, I've, and I know it so well that I barely need to look at the page now and I act it all out um and I know where I know where the laughs come now because Jean Willis, I don't know if anyone's familiar with her book. She's written like 400. So Brilliant. if you've got children, there's no reason to not be familiar with her books. Yeah. She's so funny and she's got such a quirky imagination that the all of her books work on the one level, which is they're great stories for children. But like a panto, they also work on the level that there's lots and lots of funny things in there for adults. Um, and lots of, she uses lots of alliteration. Her use of rhythm is brilliant. Uh, so I, I know where all the laughs come. I know where to get the adults on board. And then actually the one I discovered this year is called Bave the Cat. And it's by Alice B. McGinty and it's illustrated by David Roberts. And it's about a two dad family um, who, I th- who are people of colour. Uh, and they've got two children, a, babe, uh, a baby and a cat. And this book is just about them trying to get the house tidy for one of their parents, one of their mums to arrive. She's called Grandma Marge. Uh, if you ever get a chance to look at Bave the Cat, the illustrations are beautiful. And I defy you not to want a hug from Grandma Marge when you see her <laughs> on the final page. And uh, and th- this book is just about them getting ready. There's no reference to them being a two-dad family, apart from the fact that they are obviously in love with each other during, as you look at the illustrations. But the cat, first of all, doesn't want to have a bath. And the dad, daddy has made the list on the fridge uh, using fridge magnets. So the cat messes it all up. And then they go through the list again and it ends up with the cat being vacuumed or the cat having to be mowed. And, it's, and the kids, once they understand what's happening, are rolling around the floor with laughter. And I read it at a school off the cuff and it, was, it, went, it went really well. And then I bought a cat puppet. And so the... And so we do like a he's behind you with the cat to begin with. Like they, I can't find it. And the cat's poking out from behind the book and everything. So the kids are already like shouting out. And then then the cat just acts out the story. And oh, it's just brilliant. I love And again, adults love it. Adults yeah. are laughing as much as the children in that book. And I think it helps show them how they can read to the kids and how what fun they can have. They don't have to just sit you know they can actually do i used to love doing all the voices and getting into character and puppets and all sorts going on it's so much fun if you do the voices and actually i think it's a really important aspect to us as human beings is that we forget how much fun 
life is as we become adults. And it, I always think it's so sad when you see a family and the mum or the dad or the parent, I should say, doesn't know how to communicate with the children. And I think it, well, it's not that they don't know. I don't know if it's confidence. It's the confidence, yeah. And it that's and that's that's when I mean obviously everyone has children for different reasons, but I think I think that's that's sometimes you see an adult realizing that a, hu- a child is a human. Yeah, because you can be quite silly reading stories and have fun, but it can be a bit scary if you're not that type of person and you're not naturally comfortable being silly and bringing the book to life. You might be a bit, I don't want to say wooden, but you just want to read the story, which is still lovely because you're reading to your children. Which yeah, is- definitely like, oh my gosh, always, always read to your children. And also I understand that if you're not that sort of person, just the very act of reading to your child is brave. Because I will tell you that the act of performing in front of children is just about the bravest thing that anybody yeah. could do because you children are, you know, what they're going to say, you don't know how they're going to react. And they're the harshest critics in the world. And if they don't like what you're doing, they will just walk off. I'll tell you. Or, or tell you. Yeah. And I don't know which one of those I'd rather. <laughs> they're so literal, aren't they? They just say it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so I, I, anyone who reads to their children it, it is, however you do it, is to be admired and also reading's not for everyone some people struggle with reading yeah and actually I imagine if you do struggle with reading which I'm very fortunate is something I've never struggled with but if you do having a child is sort of your second chance because you can go on the reading journey with them yeah and also there's no there's no shame in struggling with reading there's no shame in struggling with writing there's literally anything that anybody struggles with there's no shame in it whatsoever uh, and I think that feeling of shame that I know people experience is a hangover from, you know, being at school back in the day when actually there was shame attached to it. You were called stupid yeah. or dunce or whatever. Uh, and and I'm like I was never good at maths. I was always way more better at words. Oh, same. Yeah. And I'm I'm actually quite good at maths now. Like I'm I don't want to blow my own horn, but I'm quite good at mental arithmetic. <laughs> And I've I rarely use a calculator. I'm not good at equations, but I still play down how good at maths I am because at school I was made to feel stupid for not being good at maths, especially because I was interested in subjects that weren't given any academic weight. I I struggled in maths and science, which were one of the three, two of the three subjects that are considered academic because I was really good at drama. I was really good at music. I enjoyed, I was quite expressive in my body. So I was quite good with dancing and I, I loved all of that, but that was not given as much credence as my friends who were good at maths. I definitely was going to go into the theatre, whatever happened. But if a, if a child who's good at maths and science struggles with their confidence, that's not going to help them in the workplace. And it's a ho- and not having confidence is a horrible claustrophobic feeling because even the most confident people have been in situations where their confidence has just drained out the floor. But if you if that child engages in drama or music or some form of expression, you're you're giving them the tools to stand up in their classroom and explain how how they solved an equation, which then gives them the tools to stand up in a boardroom and explain why their solutions the reason that this is going to work and which then gives them 
the the tools to stand up at a conference and explain why their company is the biggest company. Like what I never understood why you would downplay how important giving kids the ability to express themselves is because all we do every single day, you walk into a news agent, you're expressing yourself. We communicate all the time. And yet what they want us or what they used to want us to focus on was subjects that required no communication. But you mentioned that you have wrote your own stories. So tell me a bit about that. How many have you written and where did you get your ideas from? What made you start doing that? Oh, well, uh, the major thing, well, actually, this is all sort of tied in with how Mama G came about. Because um, that year where she started, I don't know, 2018, was actually quite a bad year for me. Like there was just nothing going on with work and there was no, I didn't have any money coming in. And I decided to write, try and just write a short story. Because I, I can write pantomimes a lot. So I, I enjoy writing. And one, I work at a theatre called the Unicorn Theatre, which is a theatre in South London, uh, London Bridge, uh, just in front of house. And one of my friends and I, we were talking and I showed her the story and she was like, oh, this is really good. She's like, there's obvious places where it's not good. But she was like, there is also the idea and the way you've gone about it is really good. And then the double whammy of that was, was that then I started to perform that story as Mama G. And so I was able to, once, once I perform a story, I can see where all the, all the, yeah. the, the extra weight is and you start to get it down. Also, you see where kids start to lose their interest. Uh, and then I started to try and move that into how I approach stories. Uh, and also another reason I started writing my own stories is because um, you have to have permission to read other people's. <laughs> and that, that's sometimes complicated. <laughs> uh, so I, I thought it was... And I was hoping it was going to be like a, a unique selling point. I was also able to perform my own material. The idea of the, so the first story I wrote was called The Fairies, Fran and Vera. And it's about a good fairy and a bad fairy who argue over whether Silly Billy should love a boy or a girl. And he loves, he already loves a boy, but the bad fairy is like, well, I'm going to show you all the ways that this is wrong. And all she ends up learning is that she was wrong. And that came at of the idea that Mother Goose is about, uh, usually the, uh, the fairy's called virtue and the villain's called vanity. So they're literally opposite. They're, they're like the good and bad. They are the good and bad fairy. They're like yin and yang. And so I was took the idea of them and I put it into a story. Uh, Little Raw, which I talked about earlier, came out of the fact that a girl I did a show with, I did a show for London Zoo and we performed it at the National randomly. And in the dressing room, this girl, whose name I've forgotten, she was talking about the year before she'd done a tour of a dinosaur show that was all puppets, but it was quite big scale. But she'd played the, the baby Tyrannosaurus Rex. And there was a really cute moment in the show, apparently, where she got all of the audience to sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little, Ro uh, little Star to the puppet as it went to sleep. And I just said, because I love a pun. And I said, wouldn't it have been funnier if you'd said Twinkle, uh, Twinkle, twinkle, little, rawr. <laughs> and, and she was like, yeah, maybe. But as I started to think about it, I was like, that's, that's quite a cute idea, actually, the idea of this cute little baby dinosaur being sung, twinkle, twinkle, little, raw. And then I, then I wrote the story on the way down to Exeter when I was on a train. Do you have a, a way of jotting ideas down if they pop into your head so you don't forget them? Do you pop them in a notebook or add them on your phone or...? Uh, yeah, sometimes if I'm quick enough, I'll, I'll write it down. 
uh, and sometimes they just disappear into the ether, never to be found oh. again. <laughs> but I tend to think that the stories that or the ideas that disappear were probably not good ideas in the first place. Because uh, sometimes an idea can pop into my head and by midday it's written and it's fully formed. Like little raw just poured out of me on a train. Sometimes I've, I've uh, spoken occasionally to the author, Michelle Robinson, who's a children's author. And she's written quite a lot. She was said that sometimes when she writes, she doesn't write. She said it's the characters of writing and she's just like the conduit for the characters voices to come out onto the paper. And I was like, that, that makes so much sense because sometimes when I'm writing a panto, I get to the end of a scene and I'm like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know how I got here, <laughs> but I read it back and it all makes sense. And I think if an idea is strong enough and the characters are strong enough, then they, they will literally write themselves. And I think that's when an idea is best is because some, something somewhere in this big planet of ours has gone, I need, I need you to write this down for me. And look at what you do. You might be there in the middle of a performance and something pops in your head because you, with your audience, aren't you? You're actually, some authors don't meet the audience, but you're performing too. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm really lucky that I do get to meet the audience. Um, but yeah, but I, you never know when ideas are going to pop up. I think at the moment, if I just have a look at my notes, I've got two ideas on the go. Oh, I've got, I've got a Panto ABC on the go. <laughs> uh, Cause one of my, oh, an amazing book I discovered last year is a Canadian book called pride puppy which is a a, a, b uh, an alphabet book about a family's visit to pride where they lose the dog and they end up on the pride parade but the whole thing is in rhyme and it's an alphabet book so every page is, is rhyming telling a story and made up of letter words that start with the letter of that page uh, it's probably one of the cleverest books i've ever read uh but i it it's a difficult one to read out loud because I don't think the kids appreciate how clever it is. And I'm like, look, at, this, is, this is amazing. <laughs> what are your future projects for this year now that things are hopefully getting a bit more back to normal? Have you got any exciting things happening in 22? Yes. Uh, I've, I feel like I've got lots of exciting things. There is one very, very, very exciting thing which I can't talk about. No! which I hate it when people say that on podcasts ah, on the radio, but it's very exciting. Tease. Um, uh, but hopefully after this podcast goes out and everyone listens, you'll see the thing that I can't talk about and you'll be like, ah, oh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, but uh, I'm always, we're hopefully going to tour Eunice as a musical. And you're coming to our festival, I believe. Aren't you? Yes. I'm coming to Big Malarkey. Myself and Mamaji, we're both going to be there. That is only for the school programme, isn't it? You can't do the weekend. Yeah, it's for the school programme because yeah. I'm very exclusive. <laughs> I can't wait because I had, I had an amazing time last year at the Big Malarkey. Oh, good. I, I met Bloomin' Anne Fine. I know. It was great. Oh, I, the best thing was, is I... Uh, I'm I'm quite a shy person, which people rarely believe. <laughs> I was so excited about Anne Fine being there because she's done so much in terms of giving kids the confidence to be who they are. I mean, and when I was at school, Mrs. Doubtfire was already a classic. So she's been writing for a while because I was at school for a long time, a long time ago. And I just couldn't believe Anne Fine was going to be there. <laughs> uh, the problem is, is that I don't recognise Anne Fine because she's an author. 
I uh, so I did a, I was in one of the big tents uh, with Elmer the elephant and it was great and they'd had them somebody really exciting in there just before and I couldn't believe I was following them <laughs> uh, and he, Elmer and I did the whole he's behind you bit I read some Elmer had a great time the kids were loving it but then as I went down the stairs off the stage the person who was on after me was there and I didn't know who was on after me and we had a chat and they told me I was very good and they loved what I did and they couldn't believe how well I handled the audience and I was like oh thank you thank you thank you um but I had to I had to go somewhere else I was in quite a few of the tents that day and also I'd promised promised myself to like loads of the vendors I was like I'll come and get a picture with this bookshop I'll come and get a picture of this bookshop uh, and then um, the rabbit hole, which was one of the bookshops next to the big top, they were doing signing. Oh, I had to go and do a blooming signing. They got me to sign Elmer books. And I couldn't believe it. I had a huge queue. Um, <laughs> and so I had to go and do that. And then after my last show of the day, I made sure I finished a bit early because I knew that Anne Fine was signing books at the rabbit hole. So I ran across and Anne Fine was the person who told me had been at the bottom of the stairs and was told oh. me that I was so good and that I'd controlled the audience well and that the kids loved me. And when you meet like one of your heroes, and she's, I, a hero is a strong word, but I don't think I realised it until I saw her with my eyes, <laughs> how much her work had meant. Because I read her as so much when I was growing up. And to have, I guess, a, a voice that told you, you can do this and I understand you, to have that voice 20 years after I've probably read one of her books say you were great and I was just like well, that's that's partly because of you uh and I hopefully in 20 years time somebody will come and see Mama G and have the same experience <laughs> except they'll probably oh, recognize yeah. me because I'm not I'm not scared of the camera or the stage <laughs> uh, and then I, I went and watched Anne talking and her talk was just fascinating when I was a kid as well as Mrs Doubtfire one of my most favorite of her books. It's about a boy who wears a dress. Uh, and I, I, my teacher read it to us in year five. I was, I'm gonna say some things that I've not ever said really, but in year five, I, um, I, was, a, I was having some gender confusion, I think, um, but there wasn't really the outlet to like talk about it or say what it was. I just thought that being a girl looked really cool and I wanted to try it. And I, this is probably why I'm a panto dame so much. And our teacher in year five read us a book called, the name is Bill's New Frock, which is about a boy. And there was a TV series about it, which is about a boy who wakes up one day and he's just in a dress. Uh, and I, I just remember thinking, huh, that's a, it's a funny book. It's about a boy and no one cares that he's wearing a dress. And everything opened up. And then I became a Panto Dome. Because I knew she was going to be there, I took, I took Bill's new frock with me. And I got it. I see it now. And I got her to sign it for me. And I was like, and I, I feel like that probably happens to her a lot. It's probably one of the first books of, it was in the 90s, that book, uh, children would have been given access to that actually discussed gender. And she said that she, she wrote the book because her daughters I believe they went to a school in Scotland and they the head teacher it was all about wearing trousers or skirts her daughters wanted to wear trousers to school and the head teacher was like you have to wear skirts I think that was the story and she went in and spoke to the head teacher and was absolutely gobsmacked at what the teacher was saying about gender norms and what we now understand as the binary nature of some people's perception of gender 
And so she wrote a book for under 10s that allowed them to challenge their perception of gender. Oh, she's just, just in the 90s. That's phenomenal. And even if that unleashed me and my understanding of what's capable through storytelling, just think of the ricochet effect, because I'm sure it wasn't just me. She probably inspired lots of people to think outside the box. And now, as a result of a story I was told in year five, I'm now able to do the same thing for children, but present it, actually present it in front of them, this breaking down of like gender stereotypes. And that's because people like Anne Fine 20 years ago wrote, were brave enough to write books that, because they, they knew it needed to be challenged and they knew there wasn't a voice that was doing it. Thanks for listening. We're now available on all the major podcast platforms. Just search for Hull Libraries. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you can get all the latest episodes as soon as they're out. In the meantime, if you want to check out any of the services at Hull Libraries, please go to our website, hcandl.co.uk forward slash libraries. Or we also have channels on all the social medias, including Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening and see you next time.